Watch this. You're listening to The Word on Long Beach. And now, Jackie Ray. I'm kind of digging the new intense intro. Hopefully you guys are liking it too. I think it's perfect because things are getting intense as Tuesday is the last day you can vote in the 2021 California Governor Toyo recall election. We are going to recap how we got here and what does Tuesday's election mean. And then in segment two, we are going to talk to Dr. Ebony Etley about the best way to start your journey into entrepreneurship. I'm really excited about that segment. I think that's going to light a fire under a lot of you. So I'm very excited to get into that. But first, let's talk about this historical governor recall. As you know, Joe Biden made it a point to come to Long Beach on Monday to try to help Governor Gavin Newsom stay in office. So again, Tuesday is the last day you can vote on whether Governor Gavin Newsom will remain in office or if he will be replaced. Now, this has been, it's a long time since something like this has happened. The previous recall was in 2003, and that resulted in Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming the governor. Interesting fun fact. But if you haven't already made your vote, I want to recap. I know a lot of you have. Good for you. No matter which way you vote, I do want to say good for you on exercising your right to vote. It's definitely a privilege to be able to vote. So make sure you exercise that right to do so every single time you possibly can. If you haven't made your vote, if you're like me and you like to procrastinate, (laughs) I simply procrastinate just because I have to take time to get some research done to make sure that I am making an informed decision. So I want to give you some background as to how we got to this point. Now, if you believe the ad campaigns, there are a few things that sparked this recall. Crime, homelessness, housing costs, and immigration. So let's start with the crime. One of the first things that Governor Gavin Gavin Newsom did early in his term was halt executions statewide. I heard a lot of conversations about that. People did not like that, which I found interesting because you would have to assume the threat of an execution would prevent crime. But if you believe that, you would also have to believe that the thought of life in prison would prevent crime as well. And and statistically, neither one of those have a bearing on if people commit crimes or not. In fact, according to the Death Penalty Information Center, the ACLU and the Columbia School of Law, there is no credible evidence that the death penalty deters crime at all. So I don't know if it's fair or realistic to say that just because he was moving towards that, that that somehow impacted crime, even though statewide in 2020, homicides did increase. According to the Public Policy Institute of California, most California counties experienced an unprecedented rise in the number of homicides in 2020. Most of those counties were seeing jumps of 25% or more, and these were driven by gun homicides, and guns played an increased role in robberies and aggravated assaults. So to me, on a personal level, that doesn't sound like anything other than perhaps we should get stricter on gun laws. I know that saying that makes a lot of people gun shy, pun intended, but If that's where we're seeing the increase is in gun crimes, then obviously who has access to guns, how we can get guns off the street, that's where that needs to be addressed. That doesn't speak at all to what the death penalty or Gavin Newsom wanting to halt death penalties. It doesn't speak to anything in that regard. 
So then there is a tricky part, though, because in my heart, I do feel like Gavin Newsom tried to address the gun issue. But by doing so, he also kind of recanted something that he he stood on his campaigning platform. And that was he wasn't going to raise taxes. So he proposed a tax on guns, gun parts and ammo. And the taxes from that would fund violence intervention programs that that just barely passed the assembly and it's pending um, before the Senate right now. So that hasn't that hasn't passed yet. That one I know is definitely a shot to his whole I'm not going to raise taxes thing. I, I always find it peculiar when a politician says emphatically what they won't do because you don't know how you're going to move once you're in office. You don't know how your hands are going to be tied. You don't know what's going to come up. Gavin Newsom did not think the pandemic was going to come up, but it did. So you, I just think it's very tricky to say what you won't do as a politician because you can't please everyone. Personally, I don't buy a lot of guns or gun ammo or gun parts. So taxes there, especially when those taxes are going to be used to fund violence intervention programs, seems like a win-win. Regardless of the fact that it was a tax, it was a raised tax, which he said he wasn't going to do, does seem like a win-win to me. Now, with that being said, 63 of the 66 largest police jurisdictions saw an increase in at least one category of violence crimes in 2020 throughout the U.S. And that was those crimes included homicide, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. And that is a report that was provided by major cities chiefs association. So yes, we did see an increase in homicide. Yes, we did see an increase in crime. That is not atypical to what we're seeing throughout the country. So California is not this weird anomaly where things are happening that are not happening throughout the country. That same report, interestingly enough, also said that there are a lot of factors that contributed to the increase of crime. Some of those biggest reasons were economic collapse, societal anxiety because of the pandemic. And then some states were hit with officers that had to stay out because of COVID protocols. And there were decreased patrols in some instances that was because of defunding of the police. I'm a a fan of defunding the police for various reasons. So I'm not going to get into that one. The next thing that people seem to really be upset about is homelessness. And I think this one resonates for a lot of us in different ways that maybe it wouldn't have resonated even three years ago, because now I feel like a lot of us probably know someone who has just mounting debt to the point where they're not even sure if they can maintain their home. I think a lot of us know people in that situation. So in an effort to address that, Governor Gavin Newsom, he did sign in July of this year, he signed a $12 billion investment over two years to tackle homelessness. That's the largest in state history. So it focuses on behavioral health housing and solutions to tent encampments. The fact that it specifically focuses on behavioral health housing is a such a big deal for me. One of the things, I used to live in Hollywood and there was this vacant building right across from me that apparently had been vacant since the Northridge earthquake. That's an insane amount of time. One of the things that our local government in Hollywood was trying to do was get buildings that have been vacant like that for a long time to have those be homeless housing. 
And as someone who is such a big proponent of homeless housing and, and let's make sure that we provide for the least of us, that triggered me in a way that I wasn't expecting because now here's this giant, it's a huge building that is steps away from me. It's a stone throw away from me where that could potentially be housing homeless people that we don't know what their mental state is. We don't know what their drug state is. And all of a sudden that became a, a no-go for me for safety reasons. So I, I just want to make sure that we understand housing the homeless is is great, but you also have to address especially some of the more severe reasons why people became homeless, and that is drug and mental health. So the fact that this bill addressed that is great to me. I'm not a fan personally of bills that say, hey, let's just house these people, but don't give them resources to actually become productive members of our society. So well done on that. The package includes uh, $5.8 billion to create more than 42,000 new homeless housing units, including housing options for people with severe mental health challenges. There's a lot with this bill that I, I can't even break every single aspect of it down, but it's $850 million to incentivize infill development and smart growth, $800 million to preserve the state's affordable housing stock. 100 million to promote affordable home ownership. So there's a lot to go in this bill, but with any bill, especially bills that have this kind of money attached to them, they do require an oversight. That bill was just signed in July, so we haven't seen any effects of that bill to date just yet. I'm sure some could argue that perhaps this was a bill that he signed to address some of the things that are on the recall. Uh, I, I really don't care why things like this get signed. What I care about is, are they implemented? So this is one of those moments where regardless of why this was signed, if he stays in office, this has to be something that we as the citizens hold him accountable for. We have to keep his feet to the fire and, and remind him, you signed this bill. This is something that you promised us. We need to move forward. And then of course, finally, there was there's the immigration. And I think we all know why that is such a, a hot button for all of us. I, I think especially here in Long Beach, when we think about the um, young people that were housed in our convention center, I know that was a, a hot button. I actually went out and I covered a, a protest for that. I think one of the things we might have missed, though, is Long Beach really was there trying to make the best of a bad situation. That was a federal problem that we ended up just having and having to figure out how to navigate around that. So definitely want to make sure we all understand, you know, what went on with that. But I know <laughs> the big thing for me personally, especially since I am still trying to find an, a, a, an apartment I can afford in the city and county of Long Beach, the average rent in Long Beach is over $2,000. And for me, I, I need, I can't just have an, an apartment. I need an apartment with parking. So it's, it's a lot. And I understand that there's so many things that with every single politician on the face of the planet, there's always going to be problems. I haven't resigned myself to the fact that Gavin Newsom is the, the worst of the worst because he's just not. So however you vote, please make sure you're making an informed decision. Please make sure you are researching every single person on the ballot because it is my personal opinion that there is someone on the ballot who could easily get us to the moment in time where we are a real life handmaid's tale. So make sure you're making an informed decision. And the only thing that I would implore all of us to do is to not make a selfish decision. I understand that sometimes things 
are more important to you on a personal level. But we do have to figure out a way, especially if we want to move forward and, and resolve some of these issues, we do have to figure out how to consider our fellow man. And is this going to be, if this is great for me, but it's, if it's horrible for someone else, is it really great? So I just want us to maybe start thinking about that a little bit more. I know a lot of people want to hang on to their guns, but if gun violence is a thing, is that great for everyone? Just make sure you're thinking about others as well when you cast your ballot. And again, well done to everyone who is going out there and voting. I'm very, very proud of you. So up next, as promised, I have Dr. Ebony Etley. And you guys are going to, if you have ever thought about starting a business, please make sure you stay tuned for the second segment coming up next right here on The Word on Long Beach. We'll be right back. The Word on Long Beach is brought to you by Community Hospital Long Beach. Community Hospital is now open, serving the community since 1924 and singularly focused on providing patients with the very best in healthcare services. Community Hospital, restored, reopened, reimagined. And Cambrian Home Care. Cambrian Home Care has been assisting individuals to stay independent in their homes for 25 years. Flexible experience you can trust when the best place is still at home. To learn more, please visit cambrianhomecare.com. Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach, brought to you by The Long Beach Post. And once again, I'm your host, Jackie Ray. Don't forget, you can follow me on all things social media at jraythefanatic, or you can email me at Jackie, which is J-A-C-K-I-E, at lbpost.com. Remember, this podcast is here for you. Anything that you feel needs a little bit more attention in your community or things you might just have questions about, please let me know so I can investigate and get you the answers that you need. Now, I am excited about my next guest. She is an author who has written several books ranging from relationship advice to issues with race and entrepreneurship. That's why I have her here today because a lot of us love or at least would love to be our own boss. So today she's going to join us and tell us how we can take first steps into making sure that that is a dream that we can realize. So let's start off with an introduction and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I'm Dr. Abinetli, the professorpreneur. And a lot of people ask me what professorpreneur means, and it simply means I'm a professor, and I'm also an entrepreneur, and I'm also committed to entrepreneurship education. So my background is in communication studies, and I'm in the comm department at Long Beach State, but I'm also the associate director of the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, and I'm also the program manager for the Apostle Enterprise Lab on campus. And essentially what that means is that in both positions, I'm facilitating interactive and interdisciplinary entrepreneurial experiences for our students. So I do a lot of programming on campus. I bring in a lot of guest speakers to talk about their experiences. And I work really hard to make sure that across campus or across disciplines and across ethnicities, anyone on campus who wants to experience entrepreneurship, that we've got a lane for them to walk through to to achieve their goals. So in 2017, um, there was a committee of folks on campus who were brainstorming, putting together the Institute. We call it IIE for short. And I found them because I wanted to promote a study abroad in entrepreneurship in London. And I also had a company of my own, an educational technology company. And I was looking for more support in Long Beach. I was working with the SBDC, but I was looking for more. And I found out about the group and I was really interested. And I was like, hey, when this gets, when this gets off the ground, if I can be a service, 
let me know. And so I've been on board ever since. One of the things that I, I'm always fascinated to do ask an entrepreneur is what was the first step to get you into your entrepreneurship? I know people always say that first step is the hardest step, but sometimes I I wonder if it's coming up with an idea, getting the capital for that idea. What's the first step to becoming an entrepreneur? The first step to becoming an entrepreneur is believing you can be an entrepreneur. Even before you have an idea, even before you have customers, even before you have funding, you have to believe that you can do it, that you are willing to take the risk. So if I was going to differentiate entrepreneurship from a small business, right? An entrepreneur is someone who embraces risk, who sees an opportunity, is determined to maximize that opportunity, even though they have limited resources and even though it's never been done before. So the other category with entrepreneurship is innovation, like offering something new or doing something familiar in a new way. So if you have the personality or the guts or the ignorance sometimes to think that you can do that, that's the first step to get you started. And the rest, you can just kind of figure out along the way. But if you have the personality to want to figure it out and do that kind of problem solving, then you can be an entrepreneur. So the entrepreneurial mindset is the first step. That's a good one. I I heard Steve Jobs speak not too long ago. I was rewatching some of his interviews and, um, he had said something to the effect of it also should be your passion because you're going to come across so many obstacles along the way that if it's not your passion, you probably will just quit. Do you think that plays into it as well? It depends on what you define as the passion, right? So a lot of the first tries for many entrepreneurs like don't pan out and that's okay, but it's the passion for problem solving for finding a better way, for maximizing opportunity that even if this doesn't work, you can throw it away and you start something else. Or even if this does work, you'd still start something else because you love to start things, right? Or once you've started something and it's running, you want to figure out how to scale it and take it to the next level because you have a passion for the process. Um, Or sometimes you have a passion for the people that you're working with. You'll try different ideas because this group of people are people that you want to help and serve in some way or there's a passion for a particular problem that you really want to solve. But in most cases, like the product itself, eh, it's not necessarily where most people hang their hat for the passion, right? It's either the process or the people. And you say you don't need the idea first, but let's say now you've, you've done the homework, you know, you have a viable product. What do you do then? Is it are there certain steps you have to go through, like legalities? Is it, do you have to do an LLC? Is there certain things you have to do before you actually launch that business? You, you have to get customers mm. before you actually launch the business. The first thing, I think there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to entrepreneurship, right? That you have a great idea and you write your business plan and then you get some funding and then you build a thing. That's not, yes, that's how it traditionally used to work when people were building businesses, but that's how the world moves anymore. Now, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to ensure that there are people that want whatever it is that you are trying to deliver. If you don't, then you don't have a product. I mean, you could get funding, but if nobody wants it, like what good is the, what good is all of that funding? If it's a loan, now you're in debt and you're in trouble. If you've got investors, like now you can't pay them back and you're still in trouble. So the first thing you need to do is make sure that you have customers and make sure that your customer profile is clear. If you're serving everybody, you're serving nobody. Like who specifically wants what you have? And when you're alone by yourself, like building and thinking about it, that's not the same as being out where your customers are and having them perform some sort of 
action that suggests they're engaged. Like liking your Instagram post about your product or your service, or your technology is insufficient. They have to be willing to sign up for your email list, to um, sign up and attend your webinar, to try the product out when you have a minimum viable product. That's how you know that you have a business. So I think a lot of people believe that they're entrepreneurs because they're chasing money, but they haven't proven yet that they know how to run a business by primarily figuring out where their customers are and that their customers actually want what it is that they're developing. So you definitely have to define your demographic. Is, is there, I know when I was trying to build my media company, well, still trying to build my media company, people ask me that all the time, like, what is your specific demographic? Sometimes I felt like that was hard to hone in because of the type of, of business that it is. But do you think having that very specific age group, gender, all of that, do you need to hone it down really specifically the demographic you're trying to reach? Yes. And it's not really about your demographic, right? When I say customer profiles and customer segments, I'm talking about like, what are their pain points? What keeps them up at night? What are they trying to do? Like, what are their fears? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? Like, this is a, a psychographic process that you can only get familiar with by spending time with your customers. If you're checking out boxes for, you know, gender and age and orientation, that, that doesn't really tell you, again, like, what keeps these people up at night? I tell the students, you want to build things that are aspirins and not vitamins because no one really needs a vitamin. It's, like, nice to have, but people need aspirins. And so to really get at the problems, to solve them efficiently, to have customers keep coming to you over and over and over again, you have to understand those clear psychographics about what's going on in their minds. What's the best way to figure those, that type of thing out? Surveys or just polls, Google? What's the best way to figure that out? Talk to people and ask them. Mm -hmm. And then observe their behaviors. Because people tell you all kinds of things, especially when it comes to what they'd spend money on. But when you observe their behaviors and actually observe like how they move around the world and who they interact with and what they spend their money on, that can give you a clearer picture. But to start, absolutely, the cheapest, easiest way to do that is to put together a survey. SurveyMonkey, Google Forms, send it out to your friends and family, ask them to send it to their friends and family. Then after that, follow up with some interviews, then maybe try to do some focus groups with people. Um, and then ask if you can follow some people around, like just, you know, spend a day with them, watch them do what it is that they do professionally, watch them try to solve their own problems when it comes to a particular pain point and observe how you might be able to fill in some of those gaps. When people come to you, do they, when they say, hey, I need help, is it more so they really don't know where they're starting or maybe they've done some of these these steps and now they're just overwhelmed with all the information that they have and they don't know how to put a plan in place with all that information? Most people come to me with ideas and sometimes they have the beginnings of, you know, the product, technology or service, and they think it's great. And I always say, and what do your customers think? And then there's a silence. <laughs> so what I do most of my time is spent helping people put together those surveys and figure out what the big questions are. I'm like, well, how do you know people want that? Well, I want it. I'm like, you're not your customer. This is not like field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. Right. And there's a glut of products and technologies and apps. And um, Heather Barker is a professor at Longview State. And I'll never forget when she said she tells her students, make me download it. Right. Because who wants another app? I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. Like, even if it's free and you need all of my information and why do I want to sign on for that? And what are the privacy policies? So I really encourage people to think around, like, what do your customers want? 
Do they want it so badly that they'd have no problem downloading something else or they'd have no problem giving you money or they have no problem giving you like all of their personal information because they want this so badly. So we spend a lot of time doing that, like trying to figure out those customer profiles. Most businesses aren't just a super success Mm -hmm. out of the gate. What are some key steps into making sure people understand it's a it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and to just maintain that longevity? Even when you've done all your homework and you followed all of the steps, things change. The world, and we all know that now the world changed with COVID. It's like, huh, that was a really good idea, but now the world changed and now you need a different idea. Or maybe your customer segment has changed in some way, you know, that there's been some social event or there's been some natural disaster and now people are thinking about the world differently. So it's important as an entrepreneur to stay nimble, right? So that when when you change, right? <laughs> maybe you're just like, okay, I've changed and I realize that I am not an expert in marketing. So right. am I going to continue to do terrible marketing or am I going to hire somebody? Do I have the money to hire somebody? How can I get the money to hire somebody? Or am I not the best person to be running this type of business anymore, right? Mm. So you have to be willing to, to pivot and ask yourself the hard questions. And even when everything's great, just know that it won't be great forever. What else could you do to better serve, to improve upon your product, to scale, to take it to the next level? And maybe that's double the amount of customers, or maybe that's expanding outside of your geography, or maybe that's adding a different type of product or service to what you already have. But always be thinking about what else you can do to better serve your customers. So that's a great point as well. And I do think sometimes we as humans, we just get comfortable. But it sounds like being comfortable is a really bad business practice. <laughs> well, it is for the entrepreneur, right? When you're doing something new, certainly, you know, if you've got a business that's tried and true and it's been running for a hundred years and you're in charge now and you just need to keep it running, I mean, you know, maybe you can be a little more stagnant, but in 2021, I probably wouldn't recommend that either. Right. But, but I would also say, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like no entrepreneur is really building on their own. That is the popular culture story of like the lone person at a computer by themselves, but it really does take a community of people. And so mentorship is really important, especially for minorities who are engaging in entrepreneurship. Cause I said, the first step was the entrepreneurial mindset. So it's important to see entrepreneurs that look like you, right? That are not the, the, the white men in turtlenecks, right? And polos that were even t-shirts that we're used to seeing in pop culture that look different, that talk different, that move different. You want to see those type of people to know that you can do it too. And that's a lot of what I try to do. And I would really like to encourage the black and brown members of our Long Beach community to pursue entrepreneurship because it's already in our blood, right? We have been resilient people throughout history and entrepreneurs inherently have to be resilient people because things are going to go left and you've got to figure out how to get back on track. Entrepreneurship is inherently about problem solving. And that's what we do, whether you come from an immigrant immigrant background or whether you come from a background of enslaved people, like problem solving for yourself and others is always what we've done. Mm-hmm. We've always been very industrious, right? In terms of getting things done, particularly in our brown communities, doing the work that no one else wants to do and figuring out how to do it efficiently with little to no resources. So inherently, people of color are innovative. I just, sometimes I don't understand our public discourse about immigration. Like, why would you not want immigrants in your society? Like, they are people that are brave enough to leave everything they've ever known and start over with nothing in an attempt to build empires. Like, that's, that is inherently the personality of an entrepreneur. And people of color generally embrace community and collaboration, cooperation. It's, it's, I don't want to say stereotypically, it's who we are. Mm-hmm. But it traditionally, 
is who we are. Right. <laughs> and that's also part of the process of entrepreneurship, right? Building with other people, building for other people for the community's greater good. So I think that in some ways, we don't think we're doing entrepreneurship when we're living our daily lives, but we are. And we should continue to do that and we should be more public about it so the next generations can be inspired by our history and move us into more innovative places in the future. I think this is a fantastic message that just for this for the starting point, I know several people who've had business ideas, but it's definitely been one of those I don't have the capital, like you say, I don't have this marketing person. And it's, and those have been the things that I've literally gotten in a lot of people's ways that I know personally. So it's good to know that, hey, you just got to kind of get out there and be willing to evolve and change and move with it. And like you said, that there, there's these resources, like something so, so simple that you even said that SurveyMonkey. I've seen SurveyMonkey. I've probably compete, uh, completed a few SurveyMonkeys. But never thought about using that in order to build a brand. So I think it's just a lot of information, little things that people can do that maybe they're not aware of that somebody like you would, you know, just plant that seed and then maybe it could grow from there. So I think that's a that's a fantastic thing. If um, if people aren't on campus and but they do want to maybe pick your brain and, and throw some ideas by you to see what you think, is there a way that they could do that? Absolutely. And to my point, I'm just not a solo person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At the IIE, we have a whole team of folks that are prepared to support. So the baby step is you can go to our website, sign up for our Friday newsletter. We always have our programs there. We have other programs in, in Los Angeles there. We have opportunities for funding. So that goes out every week around 9 a.m. on Friday. And our website is csulb.edu backslash IIE. Um, so we're here for support. The Small Business Development Center at the LBCC campus is also around for support. Shout out to SBDC. They helped me a lot <laughs> when I was working on my early businesses. Um, the United Cambodian Community has a business navigator to support small businesses. Central Cha also has a business navigator. Um, Lee Lester is launching um, Launch Long Beach. For minority entrepreneurs, Sharin Senegal is working at Accelerate Uptown with entrepreneurs of color. So there are lots and lots of opportunities. I mean, we have a Long Beach Accelerator now that's a public-private university partnership in Long Beach. So the government is down, the university is down, community members are down. Like we have the support that you need, wherever you are, whatever stage you're in, in the process. Dr. Etley named off a bunch of links you can go to for resources and assistance as you start your journey. But you don't have to rewind. You can just check out the description box or make sure you check out the write-up on lbpost.com. And once again, don't forget, you can also email me at Jackie at lbpost.com for any ideas that you might have. You guys be safe out there. Don't forget to vote on Tuesday. Once again, I'm Jackie Ray. This is The Word on Long Beach, and we'll see you next week.